Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theater Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, a Milwaukee-based theater writer, critic, and dramaturg. I'm Jen Upoff-Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theater Company, and this is Theater Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theater from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theater in the Midwest and around the country. And welcome to episode four of Theater Forward. Hello. Hello, Jen. So this week is a little bit different because we just announced our upcoming season's slate of plays, and we thought it would be uh, beneficial or interesting if we just talked about uh, why we chose these plays, not about the plays um, themselves so much, because that's easy to to look up and find <laughs> information online, but about um, the process of putting the season together. Sounds great. It's my favorite time of year in theater in general. I feel like it's Christmas every day with season announcements <laughs> coming out. So, Agreed. So uh, I thought I'd just start with the, the first uh, play that we locked in for this upcoming season, which is going to be in the second slot, our November run. And we are doing Sarah Rule's play for Peter Pan on her 70th birthday. Um, that was when we read a couple of years ago. Uh, we've been really fans of Rule's work since we worked on her show in the next room where the vibrator play, which was our second ever full production. Um, she's really an astonishing writer and she's written um, such a wide variety of pieces, some of which uh, have been beautiful and really not fit for us for one reason or another. But this one really resonated. It's interesting that, uh, Almost all companies, they they pick one play, the play that's going to be the cornerstone of the season. Right. And so this in the, our 11th season, this makes sense, this play. Um, it's people um, over 50. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got founders and advisory company members that are perfect for that show. Yeah, there's this sense of family about it that um, is happening in this world of theatrical magic. So you've got this very grounded Midwestern, um, middle-aged family dynamic, but then Rule has taken it to this new place with this um, overlayer of of magic and whimsy and um, creativity, and that really felt like it was kind of in our sweet spot. And and yeah, like you said, a, a chance for a bunch of the actors who helped found this company who have known each other for decades and decades as though they were siblings mm-hmm. to come uh, together and play siblings. And it just felt like a, a beautiful gift to our audience uh, when we read it. So that was a really easy one to lock in. I feel like for this company too, one of the, one of its jams is plays that have a sort of meta theatrical component. I mean, you think about or, or even Moonlight and Magnolias or, or God forbid, totally different from that play, something like Washburn's Mr. Burns. Yeah. Um, all of them sort of self-consciously thinking about the role of theater in American life. Yeah, so. and storytelling. The the primacy of storytelling is, I think, something really important to us. We don't want to do um, tons of self-referential plays, you know, set backstage comedies. You know, we there's a lot of good ones out there. We try to limit ourselves to just doing our favorites. But, but that theatrical quality of telling stories that only could be told in the live theater that really appeals to us. We don't want to do movies. We don't want to do sitcoms. We don't want to do novels. We want to do plays. Mm-hmm. And so um, oh, there's so many exciting new writers who are experimenting with form and with storytelling in ways that really can only be 
fully expressed on a stage in front of a live audience. And so this is one of those. And one of the things I love about rule in particular is in, and you've just said it, Jen, we're, we're in a country where it's a lot easier to get away with, with radical content than it is to get away with experiments with radical form. Yeah. I mean, you can say anything almost content wise and an audience will probably follow you. Uh, but try and do something that's formally innovative. And you're really challenging in good ways, in ways that audiences crave a different kind of experience. And Sarah Rule certainly delivers that. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's definitely, we, that has certainly been where we've gotten the most, um, I wouldn't even say pushback, but discomfort from our um, uh, our base audience is when we've done plays that are um, really experimenting more with form. Uh, but our, our audience has been right there to go with us on content pretty much, <laughs> pretty much anywhere. Right. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a lovely mix of that because I do think that the story and the characters in Peter Pan are so relatable and recognizable here, this Midwestern family, um, that the, the theatrical magic that happens around that story, um, I think maybe isn't as jarring somehow or isn't as doesn't take you out in the same way. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to work on it with this amazing group of actors and rules, beautiful poetic language. Um, and it'll have some real production challenges, some things that we've not experimented <laughs> with before. Indeed. Um, we don't want to give away that theatrical uh, <laughs> magic, but. Ooh, that's um yeah, working hard on we, figuring that yeah, out. Yeah, stretch ourselves a little bit. <laughs> right. So that's exciting. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gonna be really yep. a, a wonderful sort of pre-holiday gift. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, to riff on Julie's point, I mean, if this is the play, mm -hmm. the, the first chosen play, and the play which which this company, like many, will start to build its season around how we segue into shows two through four, how does this influence or affect the way in which the rest of the season gets put together? That's an excellent question. So yeah, there are a couple things we immediately started to think about. Okay, this one's going to be Peter Pan's an expensive show. So there's probably not going to be another show that's really expensive. I mean, it doesn't mean we're, we're doing all, you know, tiny cast one set shows, but we're not going to have another hugely expensive show in the season. Um, it's a cast of six, all of whom are 60 and over. So we're going to be looking for some younger people um, to put on our stage. You know, those are a couple of the things we started saying um, immediately. Uh, ironically, the second play that we locked in for the upcoming season, it'll be in the third slot, the winter slot. Um, and that was brought to us by Tyler Marchant. He directed the production we did of Outside Mullingar a few seasons ago. And he sent um, the script for Every Brilliant Thing to me and said, read this and think about it with David Daniel as the performer. Because David was, of course, in Outside Mullingar, they had worked really well together as a director-actor uh, relationship, and they were looking for um, another piece to do together. And so that was a script that I read very much from the point of view of considering it with that particular actor and that particular director. Um, and ironically, a year or two ago, we wouldn't have even considered looking at that script because it's a one-person show. We've never done one of those. Because Forward started in 2009, unlike all of the companies between 2007 and 2010 who did 
only one person, <laughs> two people, and three people cast were like crazy. Let's go out on right. a limb and really, really spend that money for that extra person. Right. Forward has never had to do that. Right. Well, it was partly because we only had a three show season. And when we started and we thought, you know, it's going to look like we're in trouble if we have a one person show. Right. And so we, we, we seriously have not considered doing one person shows for the first, you know, nine seasons that we were around. But one of the things that we talked about when we expanded from three shows to four is that we felt it would give us more opportunity to include uh, types of plays that we haven't. And the current season, when we did Fun Home, our first musical was, that was a great example. We had not done a musical before. Right. Um, and so when Tyler brought every brilliant thing to us, we approached it from the point of view of, well, we haven't done one of these before, but now that we're doing a four show season, we could consider it. Right. So that was kind of the way we we looked at it. And um, I mean, I just, I can hardly think of an actor into whose safe hands I would rather be placed than than David Daniels in a show like this. The, uh, the idea of audience participation scares most, myself included, um, but it's done so well and, um, and uh, sort of lovingly, mm -hmm. uh, this audience participation. People aren't, now you must, you know, raise your hand, clap, say yeah. this. It's, it's very, very different. Gentle. And gentle, exactly. And that will be really exciting to, to watch that every night. Yeah, I spilled a lot of ink in my reviewing days um, against one-person shows and against audience participation. <laughs> and I don't blame you for uh, either of those. But, you know, I saw this with trepidation uh, at Third Avenue Playhouse yeah. in Sturgeon Bay a couple of years ago with Dan Clare in the role, and I was blown away. Um, it, it is an awesome play, very, very moving. Um, and yes, David Daniel, having watched him do some of the things he does educationally over yeah. over the years. Um, which is a component that's as much as I'll say about this in terms of how he works with an audience. He is going to rock this show. Yeah. There's something, he has a skill for reading individuals that I'm sure has come to him through his years as education director at APT that is just so uh, deep and empathetic. I've watched it in how he interacts when I've brought my daughter to see shows that he's in and then he's met her afterwards. And the way... He engages with her. She's very shy with people she doesn't know. And the way he engaged her was so intuitive and brilliant that that alone gave me such confidence about how he will interact with those members of the audience that he does wind up engaging with um, mm -hmm. in, in this show. But yeah, reading it on the page, it's so moving and um, hopeful. And I really... I'm excited to, to do something different. So that was the second piece that came to us. And frankly, knowing that we were going to be doing Peter Pan, this big, expensive show, um, this did already start to feel like, oh, great. Well, this this helps right there. It helps sort of balance it out because it will be as full an experience for the audience as seeing Peter Pan. But it is not realistically as expensive a production for us. Right. And so the two of them together kind of average out to right. one great typical balance. show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Third show? Third show. Well, as, as you know, Julie, we spent um, many, many months uh, waiting with bated breath to see if we would get the rights to produce the show that will open our season, Mary Jane by Amy Herzog. And that one became on, on our radar pretty much right away as it was preparing to open off Broadway last season in New York because 
the marvelous Ms. Carrie Coon, Yay. who uh, we've all had the privilege of working with. We are all bowing down right now. We are all <laughs> bowing down. Um, you know, you've produced shows that she's in. I've yep. directed her in shows. I've raved about her in shows. <laughs> you know, um, she's right. one of our favorite human beings. And knowing that she was starring in this piece in New York automatically brought a level of interest for us. So as soon as we could get our hands on the script, uh, we did. And of course, I mean, anyone who saw 4,000 Miles when we produced it a couple seasons ago knows what a wonderful writer Amy Herzog is. But this piece is stunning. And we knew we wanted to do it. And we knew we had to be the ones to get to do it here in Wisconsin. And boy, we were on hold for months and months and months while the licensing rights were sorted out. Right. Right. Yeah, Amy Herzog's just a, a playwright I also adore. I sound like a, a fan, a fanboy on this, but I she's great. I was so excited, uh, Jen, when when Forward brought Four Thousand Miles here. This was somebody I could not understand not having been done uh, in Wisconsin sooner. That was an, uh, just a wonderful production, and this is really a great play. I think it may be her best play. I agree with you. I agree with you. And it's also a, of consideration, too, when you pick a play is, especially since our mission is Wisconsin artists, do we have the people um, to do this play? And and we are lucky enough to have in our, our advisory company a Mary Jane, like truly Mary <laughs> Jane, named Clarita Hayden, <laughs> who um, has that, the the resilience of spirit and in in a in an always continuously joyful manner, and that's not something you can fake. Yeah, and that's who Mary Jane is. Yeah, and Carrie and, has that quality, which is why when reading the script, right. you could so picture how believable and moving the story would be with right. this um, this mother dealing with really what any of us would consider horrific hand of cards that she'd been dealt, mm -hmm. and yet she is not moving through her life like someone who has been dealt a horrific hand of cards. Right. And you have to believe that that is Mary Jane's, just that that is her strength of spirit, not that she's deluded, right? right? right. And so the quality, the energy of that actor is key to making that story work. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we're, we're thrilled to put Claire back on stage in that Absolutely. role. And, yep. and, 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 and to have a playwright who, you know, as I know you both know, who is herself the mother of, with Sam Gold, of a disabled child That's who right. understands very well um, on the playwriting side, um, the kinds of things in terms of ethos that you need to bring that Claire understands from the acting side because of her tremendous skill. It's going to be a great production. Yeah. We're, we were, that was a good day when we got the, uh, <laughs> the, the license to do that one. Cause we'd right. been, we'd been waiting for quite some time and the, the wonderful folks at Samuel French were, you know, l wonderful in trying to make this happen, but it just, it, it's the process of getting the, the rights to do these new plays can be sometimes very, very drawn out and, um, anxiety provoking. For people who don't know, I mean, the, the rights that we pay are based on, uh, what our box office is. It's either an 8%, 10%, 12% of box office. So these publishing companies, rightfully so, are trying to negotiate with the, the biggest company that will give them the most money possible. And it becomes this game of who gets the rights and it can't be um, within the same season, within a, what is it now, 75 mile radius, it 50 varies. mile radius. Um, so for instance, 
two professional companies in Milwaukee can't do the same show. Um, but it it can be really difficult and it doesn't always make sense when the rights come or when they don't. Yeah. Does, in picking a season, do you think about um, a theme? So after you've chosen your first show, does that from a thematic standpoint drive subsequent choices or do you wait till you have your whole season of four and then sort of think about how the plays talk to each other and then come up with a theme that somehow relates them? That's that's a great, great point. I would say we do not set out with a theme. Um, we really look, it's much more about balance. It's much more about variety. So when once we picked one play, we're not looking for something else that fits in a theme. We're looking for something that's a good contrast in terms of uh, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it um, a big cast? Is it a small cast? Um, uh, the ages of the characters, how is it going to be relatable to this demographic versus that demographic? Really trying to have a great breadth of types of stories, types of characters. And then once the four plays are in front of us, then saying, okay, is there is there a through line that gives us a structure for talking about this season because really that's all it, it is. It's, it's a, it's a marketing tool and it's a, um, and it's a, an opportunity to um, create a, an ongoing dialogue with the audience about the things that they see over the course of a season. And so, you know, for example, with this season, um, as we looked at the plays in front of us and we realized that, that what all of them did share in common was dealing with some pretty, um, potentially heavy, serious subject matter, but never doing it in a maudlin or heavy way. You know, all of these plays are buoyant in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of led us, um, you know, I, I was talking with the, the the design team and I was like, there's something of the expect the unexpected about these plays. They came up with the unexpected, the expected, <laughs> which I think is charming. Um, but that was really, really the way we go about it, which is we want to pick a balanced slate of stories to tell and then look for something thematic that we can use in, in dialoguing with the audience about them. See, I just love that about theater, though, is even if you don't set out to pick a theme, plays talk to each other. I would sit down year after year after year with Brenda DeVita to do the preview for American Players Theater. And I'd say, Brenda, you must have chosen this season around marriage or around love or whatever. And she'd say, honestly, I didn't. I don't. I choose plays that are of passion to my directors and my audience um, and our core company. But you can't help but have plays when they start to speak to each other, um, generate themes of their own yeah. in exactly the way you've you've just described. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I had. Yeah. That. And it is really interesting. Uh yeah, is it chicken or egg? It's really interesting to see when you do sit down once the season is hit is decided that they do there there are thematic similarities mm -hmm. so yeah. let's talk about the final piece of yeah. this thing which is not a theme but is a theme that, that, <laughs> that came in. Uh, what's what's number four Wonderful. in terms of how we got there oh the final slot the fourth show and will actually be in the fourth slot of the season um this will be not only the wisconsin premiere i'm assuming this is going to be the regional premiere as well i don't know of any productions that have happened yet outside of of New York. Um, but it's Jordan Harrison's newest play. He wrote Marjorie Prime. We did uh, last season. Um, it's called The Amateurs. Uh, Samuel French, the uh, licensing agency, um, the woman we work with there, 
knowing the kinds of plays that we do, had just seen this. They weren't even licensing it yet. I don't even know if they are yet, but but she said, oh, this feels like it might be up your alley. And she sent it to us. And oh my goodness, it just, it it just knocked my socks off. I mean, at, at this point in our season planning process, we knew the other three shows. We knew we wanted something that was comedic because while there is humor in all three of the other plays, you wouldn't really describe any of them as a straight up comedy. comedy right. And we really wanted something that could be described that way. But obviously as with all the comedies we produce here, we wanted it to have some substance to it. Some, some meat on the bones. Um, I'd never read anything like this play. Uh, I knew immediately it was going to challenge us tremendously. And I knew it was going to really speak to the moment that we are in and that I imagine we will still be in a year from now when we produce this play, because for all of its comedy, for all of its heart, what it really is about this play is about the purpose and meaning of creating art in times of crisis. And there's no question that that feels like the kind of world that we are in right now. And, you know, we talked earlier about we don't want to do too many plays that are about putting on a play. This is a play about putting on a play, but like nothing you've ever seen before. It's this troupe in the Middle Ages putting on the passion play, the story of Noah and the flood, um, but with such hilarity. And and what I'm personally really excited about is this is going to be an incredible opportunity for our design team. And it's visually laugh out loud funny. <laughs> Some of my very favorite uh, scenic elements are in this play and it's it's going to be great. I love this play too. And it's about laughing in the dark. It's also about telling stories and Jen, to your point, in darkening times. And guess what? To me, that is one way you could talk about this season thematically. You've got four stories about how to love and how to tell stories um, in a world that has lots of darkness within it. The plays aren't necessarily dark. The plays are full of hope. And that's what theater should be. I, I, I love it. And you know what? There's a perfect place for us to end. I think that's going to be it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jen Upoff gray I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden. You can follow us or share your thoughts and questions on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Forward Theater. That's E-R. <laughs> if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you might tune in. We're grateful to have you listening, and we'll be back soon for another Theater Forward conversation. Theater Forward.